Does everybody know what time it is? Branding time. That's right, and here's your host, Cody, the Brandmaster Creelman. Asshole. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about branding time. So, some of you might have no idea what time branding time is, and some of you, it's like Christmas. So, how are things going with me? Pretty good. I haven't been putting out very many videos the last week and a half. Well, I've been shooting videos uh, for a super secret project that I've been working on. Uh, that really won't come to fruition for about, uh, I would say there's like nine months left on that project. And it's really good. And I'm so excited to share it with you guys. But for right now, I was uh, putting a lot of time into that and not shooting a lot of vlogs. So if you follow me on YouTube or you follow me on the Facebook, uh, you, you probably haven't seen too much. Although, on Instagram, on my Instagram stories, I'm very active. So if you guys are ever worried about me, wondering where the videos are, go to Instagram. I'm posting daily, multiple times, like a dozen times on the Instagram stories. I really love it. It's a great place to interact. I'm sorry if you don't have Instagram stories, if you don't have Instagram. Uh, but yeah, that's a really good place where I'm kind of just sharing on the daily uh, because it is super easy to do. You just take pictures and little video clips and you don't have to spend four hours editing a vlog or uh or four hours editing a podcast just joking i don't edit this thing at all so yeah it's been it's been super fun working on that project uh update on the practice we have a new veterinarian coming quite soon just in a couple of weeks uh all geared up for him the practice is still super busy right now uh calving time has as a about finished the guys that are calving now uh, they're calving out on grass so they don't have too many issues i iv to calf today uh i did some feedlot stuff i exported like a few thousand head in the last couple days and i cut out a cancer i yeah i'm gonna do pre-breeding palpations uh, about 500 head tomorrow so just kind of like a hodgepodge of stuff but like the the calving time is over still busy. So right now we are, well, I guess to go through like the whole demographic of our practice, uh, when it comes to calving in January, we would have the purebred producers and some of, you know, a few other guys, a couple of the Hutterite colonies, they would calve quite early. And then we have guys that are starting calving now, you know, throughout May and June. So it's all over the map, but the time of branding time is traditionally about six weeks uh, into that calf's life where we'll do a processing event and just kind of all-encompassing that's known as branding time. Uh, Some calves will get hot iron branded at branding time and some calves don't, but we still call it branding time. So what we 
typically do is what I'm going to kind of, I consult about this every single day, multiple times a day. So I'll just kind of run you guys through the different things, the different permutations and computations of branding time, and just provide a little bit of insight into that. So the timing is important. Uh, The reason the timing is important is because of the maternal, maternal, the maternal, I got the dry mouth, the maternal antibodies from the colostrum. So the baby drinks the colostrum and that gives it antibodies. And if we were to vaccinate a calf while the antibodies in his bloodstream from the colostrum were high, then it would just neutralize the vaccine and the calf would not mount an immune response to that vaccination. So we have to wait. We wait until about six weeks when the maternal antibodies have waned enough, waned? Wayne's world, when it has waned enough to, in order for us to have a adequate vaccine response. But that time is also uh, kind of like a, what, what's the word? There's a special word for it. It is a vulnerable time for the calf because their maternal antibodies have decreased, but they have not mounted a great um, innate response to a lot of the different antigens. So that's where branding time comes in, where we are vaccinating against a variety of different diseases and boosting that immune system to have high levels of of circulating antibodies uh, to carry them through the rest of the grazing season until weaning. So that's why the timing is important. Now, there's going to be an age range at branding time because there is an age range through calving time. Uh, pretty typical within my practice area would be about a 63-day or a three-cycle calving season, but there certainly are producers that go longer than that uh, because they're just not pulling their bulls. So we're going to have you know, even three months uh, difference in age in calves at branding time. And then there's some producers that are a lot more narrow and tight, uh, 42 days. I even have one producer that's 35 days breeding season. So those those calves are going to be a lot tighter together. Uh, that's important because the older calves, they are if they if they get too old without being vaccinated at branding, they're going to be at higher risk for diseases such as pneumonia or clostridial enteritis. And those calves that are too young and get vaccinated with our traditional vaccination uh, drugs, I guess those would be called vaccines, those animals probably won't respond very well to the vaccines and they will uh, be susceptible to diseases, uh, circulating diseases uh, during the summer time. So... It is difficult to pick the right time, but we always kind of, we, if, if we can, we would like to separate some of those younger calves out and vaccinate them later. But typically this is done right before turnout, right before those cows and calves go to their summer grazing pasture. So we just have to bite the bullet and do the best that we can and get the vast majority of them in the critical window, in the in the ideal window, and then there's going to certainly be some outliers, but we will do our best. 
So what happens at branding time, uh, how those calves are processed really depends on the individual farm. So for example, some farms, they just view it as a very sort of normal processing day and they round up all the cows and calves and they separate the two and then the calves are just ran through a regular chute system, an alleyway uh, onto a either a chute or a tilt table and those calves are processed that way just very modernly uh, how we would process mature cows and how we would process feedlot animals just through a chute system a snake an alleyway a crowding tub and then some sort of catch device but across i don't know i guess across all of the north american market but certainly within the west uh, i think i know even down into texas uh, the the branding time event is is also can be a very social event where neighbors and friends come together at a ranch to process the calves together and typically this is done on horseback so you gather up all the cows and calves you separate the calves from the cows and then you go into the branding pen with your saddle horse and rope and you would heal that calf so catch it by the back heels two legs drag it to the to the area where those animals are going to be processed and that's when the different things will happen to that calf Uh, those can be quite efficient but usually they are not Um, sometimes it's fueled by a little bit of of uh, barley refreshments Uh, some nice cool beer typically slows things down a little bit Uh, good conversation um neighbors who haven't roped in a year, all kinds of different things as to why those (laughs) brandings seem to take forever. But a good crew could certainly get through four, five, six hundred calves on horseback. Uh, But there's usually way too many people at a typical branding event. Uh, But it's social. It's a community thing. It's a historical thing. Uh, It's something that people wait for, for for all year and they travel around to all their neighbors and all their friends and and have some good old-fashioned branding okay so we'll talk about the vaccine first so what we're going to want to protect those calves against and this is going to certainly have some geographical considerations but essentially We want to protect those calves against the diseases that they're going to be facing throughout that summertime. Now, there's they're going to see some some diseases where we don't have great vaccinations for, uh, but we're going to vaccinate them with ones that work and ones that are going to help save their life. So, the typical first one that we're going to talk about is the uh, respiratory viral pathogens. So IBR, BVD, PI3, and BRSV. Those ones are in our typical five-way modified live or killed vaccine. And those ones are uh, typically in a cow-calf situation in a calf. Uh, they're going to cause an upper respiratory infection, and they are going to allow for a secondary invasion of bacteria. Um, could be Pastorella maltosida, could be Mannheimia hemolyticum, to come in and cause a bacterial pneumonia, which will cause the calf to be depressed, to go off feed, to have a fever, and potentially even die. 
So if we can stop or slow down the viral infections, then we are going to be able to mitigate a lot of the bacterial infections that happen. So that's the first part or component of a calf hood vaccine at branding time is a typically a five-way modified live vaccine. Now, on top of that, we can add on a few different things. So depending on your geography, uh, what's most typical in my area would be to then add on a product that covers against one of those bacteria, the main bacteria in my area that causes disease in terms of pneumonia, and that is Mannheimia. So the vaccine that we typically recommend is a injectable modified live five-way against the respiratory pathogens, uh, the respiratory viral pathogens, and included in that vaccine, all part of it is a, a shot of Bactrin or a, a bacteria vaccine that protects against Mannheimia. Now, there are some products that protect against Pastorella instead, and that would just depend on the specific herd risk level and what each specific geography sees. But that's my geography there. And then they would get a second shot, a second vaccine that would protect them against the clostridial organisms. Uh, typically, we'll refer those to those as a seven-way or an eight-way, uh, basically meaning seven or eight different species of clostridia uh, organisms that are covered in there. Uh, one special consideration when we're talking about clostridials is if a producer is banned castrating at branding time, so is not surgically castrating or did not castrate at birth with bands, then we need to make sure that our eight-way has tetanus in it. If you do not have tetanus in your branding time vaccine where you are rubber band castrating, you could be in for a potential wreck. So if you are doing surgical castration, typically covexin is not needed. Uh, so that would be the main uh, product in Canada that has tetanus and Tazvax would be the other one that has tetanus up here. Uh, I always try not to mention names, but that one slipped out. So if we do not need to worry about tetanus in our calves, then we're going to add on to our eight-way somnus. So Histophilus somni is a very significant pathogen up here in Canada. So there is uh, seven ways and eight ways that include somnus. So we add that in to our vaccination protocol in order to cover off on the Histophilus somni. So that's the very sort of basic vaccination strategy of covering off on the viral respiratory pathogens, covering off on the bacterial respiratory pathogens, and then covering off on the clostridial um, bacteria pathogens, and then plus or minus tetanus, and plus or minus Histophilus somni. Now, we'll shake things up a little bit. There is another approach that is, I guess, becoming quite popular, at least in our practice area, 
Uh, I think I think they're sort of gaining quite a bit of market share, and that's actually a three-step protocol. So what this protocol is is an intranasal vaccination against IBR, PI3, and BRSV. So a squirt up the nose uh, that uh, primes the mucosal immunity instead of the the systemic immunity, and then an injection of BVD vaccine combined with Mannheimia hemolyticum, the bacteria vaccine. So number two to protect against those two things. And then the third injection being uh, the clostridial in combination with the somnus vaccine. Uh, That one has gotten popular. Um, There is good literature out there to support that. And also, uh, that one, there is some merit if we're vaccinating a younger group of calves because there is no maternal interference of those antibodies when we're talking about an intranasal vaccination strategy. So if you have a younger group of calves at branding time, then going an intranasal and injectable route uh, would probably be beneficial. Once they are vaccinated with uh, with those vaccines, then they're pretty much good until weaning time. Uh, they're, the tighter levels, so the level of circulating antibodies after those vaccines will, will increase, and then they will slowly decrease uh, over the summertime. And once they kind of get to a critically low level, we've likely already weaned and revaccinated again, either at the feedlot or as a weaning vaccination or a pre-weaning vaccination. Just one thing to note when we are vaccinating during branding time is to make sure we are carrying uh, products that will help us if our calf uh, falls into anaphylactic shock. So it happens every once in a while, but those calves can have a quite severe reaction where their eyes swell, their nose swells, their tongue swells, and they'll go into respiratory distress. Epinephrine on hand at branding time is an absolute must. Uh, it is also nice to potentially have some dexamethasone with you as well, uh, a steroidal anti-inflammatory to, to help with that. And remember, if you do have a suspect case of anaphylaxis and the calf dies, please talk to your veterinarian because the pharmaceutical companies do want to know about those those deaths and they are very willing to help out in terms of post-mortem uh, covering your post-mortems uh, covering the vet's time uh, covering lab work they 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 really do take it very seriously if a calf dies after you use their product uh, in terms of an adverse event. So they have a whole program. Every pharmaceutical company does a program that if a calf dies of anaphylaxis, they want to confirm that and, uh, they'll, they'll certainly help a producer out to confirm that. Okay. I think that's it about vaccinations. Uh, always best to talk to your veterinarian in terms of the risk level. Certainly there's a lot of producers out there still that do not vaccinate at all. You do not have to vaccinate at all if you are running a perfectly closed herd Uh, if you're not running a perfectly closed herd then you have to look at the your different risk levels and what your overall disease incidence has been in the past and see if it's worth trying to mitigate that with vaccines 
I would say that there is a quite large percentage of producers out there at branding time that are just vaccinating with the clostridial vaccination, the black leg vaccine, uh, but they're not protecting against the bacterial uh, pneumonia or the viral pneumonia component to that. Okay, so now we have our calves vaccinated. What else are we going to do to these little babies before we let them go? So another procedure that is commonly done at branding time is castration. So usually two methods for castration exist at branding time. So one is surgical castration and one is band castration. So with a band castration, you could potentially use the little green Cheerio elastrator bands uh, on smaller animals. But if these are, you know, big 200 pound calves, that might not be good enough. So you may have to use uh, kind of the next step up. There's some larger bands from, from some different companies. Uh, or like I said, the surgical castration, that would be pretty common uh, there's always somebody around that grew up castrating calves and, and are, is pretty good. You do want a very skilled person doing the surgical castration. It doesn't have to be a veterinarian, but a very skilled uh, stockman uh, can do a wonderful job. Uh, the typical procedure is uh, slicing into the scrotal sac. Uh, can either be cut off, you can cut off the bottom third or do a slice. Uh, you grab onto the testicle, you pull, uh, essentially breaking the ligament and um, stretching the spermatic cord vasculature, and that helps with hemato. Uh, hematostasis. Is that a word? I'm a veterinarian. I feel like I just made that up. It helps with stopping blood from flowing out of the animal uh, by pulling that cord and stretching it. And then uh, once that ligament pops, then uh, you can either pull it all the way or then you can cut the spermatic cord and remove the testicle fully. I guess it's kind of hard to explain, but just Google it. Just look it on YouTube and I'm sure you'll find some videos of that. Uh, you want the person doing the procedure to be very, very clean. Uh, you don't want them touching the tissue that's going to stay in the animal with the dirty hands. You want to have antiseptic available. Gloves are preferable. You want a sharp knife because a sharp knife is a sharp life and adequate restraint in Canada. Um, very, very commonly, calves that get a castration done to them are going to be given a pain control. So oral meloxicam being a very common one, injectable meloxicam being another very common one. Uh, this is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory that will usually reach therapeutic plasma concentrations within 20 minutes. So the calf does not have pain control. Uh, when it, the procedure happens, but does have pain control on board once uh, 20 minutes goes by. It is not within the Canadian Beef Cattle Code of Practice to provide pain control to calves that are under six months of age, but a lot of our producers go way above and beyond and invest in pain mitigation uh, in order to make those calves more comfortable. 
And I'm happy to report that even uh, calves that are not being castrated at a branding time, a lot of producers are giving uh, meloxicam products, this non-steroidal anti-inflammatory product, just to help with the overall pain of, of the branding procedure. So uh, it could be hot iron branding. It could be just being caught by your heels and drug. It could be, you know, the pain associated with being vaccinated. So even heifers or steers are getting a dose of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory to help mitigate the pain. So that's castration. Uh, hot iron brand. Oh, a necessary evil of the industry that I wish I had a better way to mitigate the pain altogether, a better method of permanent identification. But essentially, hot iron brand is exactly what you think. You take the producer's brand, it is very, very hot, you apply it to the skin of the animal in the in the place that that producer is allowed to do. So it could be on the ribs, it could be on the hip, it could be on the leg. Uh, the hot iron is applied. Uh, you, need, you want the producer to, or the, the person doing the procedure to be very skilled at hot iron branding as well because you can hurt the animal well it hurts either way but you can cause more serious damage if you don't know what you're doing uh, and that brand is applied until the the burn mark is just a nice tan like a tan leather color and then and then the, the brand is done but it hurts uh, cowhide is thicker than human skin, so I'm, I don't know if it hurts as much as if I got the exact same branding iron on my skin. Uh, it would really, really hurt and sting for a really long time. Some producers will do things like paint aloe onto it after. Um, I think that would feel nice. Uh, like I said, some producers are using oral meloxicam to help uh, mitigate some of that inflammation and the pain associated with the inflammation. But there really isn't a good way to to permanently identify hot iron brand calves without being pain-free. Like I said, uh, necessary evil. Um, I totally get it. There, there's a lot of money, a lot of investment wrapped up in these animals, and cattle rustling is alive and well and a very real thing. So, if you had millions of dollars just kind of roaming around the countryside, you would want a way to ensure that your asset is protected. Um, cattle wrestlers can cattle deer tags. Uh, they can reverse tattoos. Uh, it is very, very difficult. Uh, there is options like freeze branding. So using liquid nitrogen on a brass iron that can, can be applied to the animal that is relatively pain-free. I've watched lots. I've done lots of of freeze branding and there's a mild amount of discomfort associated with it, but I don't think it's that bad. Uh, but it does take quite long where a hot iron brand would take usually less than five seconds. A freeze dried, freeze dried brand, a freeze brand. Sometimes they use dry ice. A freeze brand, uh, takes about 50 seconds in a cow. You have to apply that iron for 50 seconds. So the, the, there is a very large increase in time to go to freeze branding from hot iron branding, but freeze branding looks beautiful. The hair on a colored animal comes back 
white and they look really neat. Implants. Uh, implants are pretty common across the countryside. Uh, this is implants given to calves at branding time. Uh, typically, they are low, um, low potency implants. Uh, I'll just say the name because it, it's so common and and it's very popular within that. And that's Rougro. So Rougro is a very popular branding time um, implant that has very good returns on investment. It's about $50. So if you give a Ralgro implant to your calf, you'll have a net return of about $50 by the time weaning, weaning hits. It's the easiest money you can ever find within the cattle industry. Um, now you may be marketing into different markets, into European Union markets, and you want to keep your cattle natural, and that's perfectly fine. But if you're just selling pounds of wean calf and the buyer doesn't matter, then you might as well sell as many pounds of wean calf as you possibly can. Uh, there's a few other options out there, but just keep in mind that you want to be sterile. You want to have somebody who knows what they're doing, doing it, uh, and, and doing it well. And um, when it comes to heifers, so if you look at the literature specifically on Ralgro, if you give uh, heifers that you then keep as breeding assets uh, for for the next year, you're going to have a 1.7% reduction in conception rate. So not a very uh, bad decrease in conception rate. Um, if so overall, that's something a consideration. Maybe at the branding pit, you don't implant uh, the biggest, best heifers as they're being drugged by, and you're only getting the little uh, runty heifers and uh, all of those steers or, or bull calves. So that's implanting. Now let's talk about parasites and flight control. So this is also quite geographically dependent, I think, in Canada, for the vast majority of producers, they do not to de- they do not need to deworm their cows. They do not need to deworm, uh, provide Ivamec, give safeguard to their calves as they're going out onto pasture because their calves aren't infected. Cows, calves can only be infected by internal parasites if they've been on green grass before. They can't pick it up in the water. They can't pick it up in dry lot. Uh, they can only pick it up if there's green grass. That's the, the parasites crawl up. And, and the cattle consume those parasites, and that's what starts the whole cycle. Now, using Ivamec on at branding time, uh, it has a little bit of danger because the hot iron brand is hot and fiery and the Ivamec is flammable. So you have to be careful there. Uh, but there would be some benefit to fly control in some situations, uh, providing a dose of, of Ivamec on an animal's back will give about 30 days of residual fly control. It's not spectacular fly control, but it's fly control nonetheless. So that's really the only reason to give one of those. There, there is, like in terms of a pour on, there is a product that is a long acting 
uh, dewormer. It's essentially, well, it's an avermectin, so in the same category as Ivamec that is given uh, as an injection, and then it deworms the animal, and then uh, at around, I think, 70 days later, this protein matrix dissolves, and another... Um, there's this other release of this avermectin, this ivermectin type product, uh, back into the animal. So um, effectively deworming them again while they're out on pasture. Uh, so that is an interesting product. I do think it can provide returns um, if you have a high infection intensity, a uh, high level of parasites on your pasture. I think products like that uh, can be very good, very beneficial. My preference is still always to test first, five weeks post-pasture turnout. So cows get turned out. Five weeks later, I come and look at 15 animals poop uh, using a composite technique, and then I can tell the the producer whether or not his herd has a high infection intensity out on that specific pasture then we can implement uh, a deworming procedure that we can do while those animals are still on pasture by putting the medication um, either in crumbles or in their mineral oh i think i covered it Okay. If you guys have any questions on branding time, um, please always feel free to DM me on the Instagram or send me a Facebook message or uh, send me an email, Cody at CodyCurlin.com. I also love to hear your guys' suggestions for new podcast episodes. Uh, I really enjoy the feedback I get from you guys. So, uh, you know, make it, make me feel like I'm not just some crazy guy who's sitting at his coffee table with pillows around him to, uh, give you guys the best audio experience. I'm not in some crazy sound booth. I'm just sitting in my living room, uh, talking to my microphone for the last, I don't know how many minutes, it's just nice to know that somebody's out there listening. So if you have any comments or just want to say that you love the podcast or send me a, you know, a picture of you driving down the road, uh, you know, listening to the podcast, and, like show me a picture of your screen, but don't do it while you're driving. Nobody would ever do that, right? Uh, s- safe driving, pull over to the side of the road. Tell me what you think of the podcast. I would really, really appreciate it. If you're listening on Apple um like on iTunes, the Apple podcast, please leave me a review. Uh, I would love you to to rank me on the five-star scale and also leave an honest review if you like the podcast too. That really helps in terms of helping other people find the the content. The more reviews there are, uh, the more five-star reviews there are, uh, the, the better that I'm ranked. So I appreciate that as well. Okay, take care. And until next time...